Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We continue our study in the book of Daniel. This episode, we're in Daniel chapter 3, and we're looking at a preview of the Antichrist Empire. Before we dig into Daniel chapter 3, I have an announcement again to make that right after we finish studying the book of Daniel, we're going to take your questions on biblical prophecy or about what the catechism or the church fathers or the popes teach about prophecy. So I invite you to send me your questions at askthehost at gmail.com. Again, that's askthehost at gmail.com, and we're going to entertain your questions on biblical prophecy. There's only one rule. Your questions have to be 100 words or less. Okay, let's go to Daniel chapter 3. And what we find in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is king over the Babylonian Empire, decides to make this huge image of gold, and the image being about 90 feet tall. He, they find a plane and put this image, and several times it, it mentions that all the leaders, all the governors, all the state ministers, everyone was required to come before this statue, this statue really representing a deified empire, and they were required to bow down in an act of worship to this image. And we learn a little later in chapter 3 that Daniel's companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did not do this, being faithful Jews, faithful to the first commandment, and so they were cast into the fiery furnace. We will get to that next episode a bit more. But the point I am making today is it's important to connect chapter 3 with chapter 2, because in chapter 2, this same king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream that Daniel interpreted by the grace of God, and in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw an image, and the image had a head of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar as king of kings. In other words, his empire encompassed other kingdoms under him. And then the the image would move down the body of the image, and you would have the Medo-Persia Empire, Greece Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And each time you go down, there was a different metal of a little less value. So the gold was only the head in the dream that God had sent this pagan king. So you turn the page, and even though the kings seemed to have this big profession of faith is obviously rather shallow because by the time we get to chapter 3, the whole image is gold, not just the head. What is this saying? Well, Daniel told the king that uh, in chapter 2, starting in verse 37, you, O king, are king of kings, and you have kingdom, power, might, and glory. You are the head of gold. And then, but verse 39, evidently the king didn't like this, after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, 
and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And verse 40 of chapter 2, there shall be a fourth kingdom. So in other words, this dream interpreted by Daniel was saying, no, you are not king over an everlasting kingdom. And Daniel went on to say it was the kingdom of God, the kingdom that the Messiah would bring would be the everlasting kingdom. These succession of four world empires will pass away. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was just kind of uh, stiff-necked and said, no, uh, the whole image is me because this is a deified kingdom. And of course, the head of it, the king of kings, is deifying himself and says, I am the everlasting kingdom. And notice what happens. There was compulsory state religion. What happened in this godless pagan kingdom, now in defiance to what God clearly had revealed to him, is that the state has taken religion within itself. There's no separation of church and state here. Uh, Worship is a department of state, so to speak. And Nebuchadnezzar is a totalitarian, and totalitarian empires like religion to keep uh, the empire together, kind of like the glue. And so to refuse to worship a deified ruler or a deified kingdom was high treason, punishable by death. Now, this is a point I want to make because I want you to know that we are not just studying ancient history. Okay? We are studying the first worldwide kingdom in history, and the satanic impulse behind this first worldwide kingdom has not gone away. At times in human history, it might kind of go underground, so to speak, for a while, but when it appears, it's not coming from outer space or something. It's part of a satanic root that pops back up in human history. And these worldly kingdoms, they are not simply ancient history because that same satanic root where you have a totalitarian government that demands worship, a deified kingdom, a deified ruler, that hasn't gone away. That will pop up at the end of history, and some people might say that's even popping up in red China as I speak. So the situation that we're reading here in Daniel 2 has high relevance, and we've just gotten uh, through the entire book of Revelation and studying it, but be aware that what's going on in Daniel chapter 3 here with this deified empire is the exact same thing which was going on in the book of Revelation, in that there's this massive galactic conflict between the worship of Caesar as God, divinized Caesar, and the worship of the true God and his son Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And the book of Revelation has a stern warning against doing something which Nebuchadnezzar said to do. And when the decree went out to do this and all the musicians, they had bagpipes and harps and all kinds of music, it says, 
all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, except for three Hebrew faithful believers in Yahweh who knew what the first of the Ten Commandments are all about. And God is first, and you shall worship him alone. You don't bow down before any other God. Now, you move fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, you have what I regard one of the most solemn warnings for the end times in all of the Bible. Starting in verse 9, we find an angel, a third angel, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image, the Antichrist and its image. You see, it's the same deal. Nebuchadnezzar and its image, uh, and then the beast and its image, and receives its mark. The mark was a sign that you had basically worshiped the beast. And what was the mark? You would get a mark in the first century, the mark, followed, you're burning a pinch of incense, which was a religious act, and then making the simple declaration, Caesar is Lord. Hey, everybody went along with it. Just like everybody went along with Nebuchadnezzar, and a few didn't, they were called faithful Christians and lost their lives in the first century. And Revelation 14 says, if you take the mark, you shall drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out, unmixed into the cup of his anger, and that person shall be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the angels and the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up for a very short time and then everything's okay. No, forever and ever they have no rest, day or night, worshipers of the beast and its image. This Revelation 14 passage is getting right to the key of what was going on in the first century, what will go on in the last century, and what was going on six centuries before Christ came. It's the same rotten, satanic root underlying world empires. And then the book of Revelation says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of the faith in Jesus, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord henceforth. This is life and death. And what you do as a believer, you're willing to give your life for an allegiance to God as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And first century had compulsory state religion, the emperor was regarded as divine. There was this mixing of church and state, not only first century, 600 BC. Nebuchadnezzar was doing it. Caesar was doing it. The Antichrist is going to do it. And you know, there's a, a key word that describes the central theme, both of what's going on here in Daniel and what's going on in the book of Revelation, and that word is allegiance allegiance to God as king of the world, and henceforth, since he is the deified king of the world, he alone is deserving of our worship. And have you ever thought perhaps the first commandment is first because it's first in importance? And I must admit, I maybe kind of shelved this on a lower level of priority, and no, it's first because 
God says, I'm the Lord your God. You have no other gods before me. You don't make a graven image and you don't bow down to them or serve them. I've just read the first half of a great book and unfortunately, I read it after we completed our studies in the Revelation, but it was entitled Unholy Allegiances by a Methodist scholar, David De Silva. And it's only a short book, it's 132 pages, but the first half is all about the, the deification of the Roman Empire and how Caesar uh, took divine titles for himself and how this expanded, especially through these churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches in Revelation that we read about. And that was basically the context of what was going on. But he just, David De Silva in Unholy Allegiances really breaks this out. It was, we would have had more episodes on that very point, but this was the rub in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation just wasn't about what goes on in the mass, okay? The book of Revelation was worshiping the true king, and there is a great conflict, and the conflict is the essence of what's going on in Daniel, the essence of what's going on in the book of Revelation, and it's the conflict between who are you going to render your allegiance to, not only with your voice, but with your worship, and there's only one true God, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, who we give our allegiance to. Everything else is idolatrous worship, even though it's a civic duty to a deified state. And so you can see ancient Babylon, or you can see Rome, which the New Testament calls Babylon. Why? It's repeating. And this will repeat again in the final world empire of the Antichrist. And he will have a kingdom, and he will require allegiance through worship. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 146 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com.